If you met my mom when I was growing up, you would never have looked at her and said, I'll bet she has a PhD. I'll bet she teaches at a college somewhere. I'll, I'll bet she's a scholar that's written a lot of books. You would never thought that. No, no one would have ever said that. Well, what they would have said and did say all the time, Thelma is one of the sweetest, nicest, kindest, friendliest people you're ever going to meet. You can trust Thelma if you want to talk to her. You can trust her w with what she says. In fact, we had a parade of people that were um, un unaccepted by a whole lot of other people in the neighborhood who would come through our kitchen and be drinking coffee at our table, sometimes much to my chagrin. And she would, she would never refuse them. Oh, every once in a while she'd get a little sarcastic. And, <laughs> you know, but I think I was responsible for that. So she would never, ha so she was just a wonderful woman who loved Jesus, had accepted Jesus as her Savior, was diligent in reading the Bible for herself and spending time with him and reading Bible stories to me from the time I was little. Out of that, not that book, but that, uh, an earlier version of that book, the Eggermeyer Bible story book. So when I was in 10th grade and I was in, I uh, rededicated my life the summer between my 9th and 10th uh, grade years. And in 10th grade, I had Mr. Piercy for world history class. My favorite all-time teacher of every teacher from my kindergarten through my 12th grade year. He was the kind of teacher who showed you respect and he taught you to think. He was the only teacher in our high school who addressed us as Mr. Schaefer or Miss Jones. And he said, I will respect you as an adult if you will respect me. I learned more in his classes about how to think than anybody that I probably in my whole growing up years. And so he became my favorite teacher. He became kind of a, almost an idol to me. And so uh, towards the end of my 10th grade year, we were in world history, and I don't know how it came up. He told us, and, and, and he accounted the story in Exodus about the Israelites as they were coming out of Egypt, and they came, and they had to cross into the promised land. And he said, you know, the, um, and he gave me, I don't know, I, I don't know how he got on this, but he, he started talking about how they had done research, and they discovered that um, there's, there was a Red Sea that the Bible talks about, but there was also a sea of reeds, a reed sea. And he said, you know, um, the scholars have investigated it and done research on it, and they said it, it's possible that Moses took the Israelites through the reed sea, the sea of reeds at low tide, and, and it would have been possible for those couple of million people to walk through in ankle-deep water and get to the promised land. And then he made this statement. He said, you know, that strengthens the Bible for me instead of weakening it. Because now we've got archaeological and research that shows. And I thought, I, wow, what a man. I went home to my mom 
who, remember I told you, would never be confused with a PhD or, or Bible college professor. <laughs> she was sitting at the ironing board because she took in uh, ironing for some people to add extra money to the budget. And she was sitting there at her ironing board, and I told her this story about Mr. Piercy. And she sat there, and because she's a nice lady, she listened. And then she looked at me, and she said, I don't think that's right. And it took me aback. Because I'm thinking Mr. Piercy knows everything, and my mom knows nothing. Because I was a teenager. But it took me aback. And it caused me pause. I don't think that's right. She didn't respond with, she didn't point to any scripture passage to prove that it was wrong. I don't think that's right. She didn't respond with an in-depth exegetical study of the book of Exodus to prove her point. I just don't think that's right. She didn't even argue Mr. Piercy's point to prove him wrong. I don't think that's right, is what she said. Because there was something within her that knew it wasn't right. She didn't have to be a Bible scholar. She didn't have to go to Bible college. She didn't have to be a professor. There was something inside her. She had faithfully read her Bible all her life. So she had the truth of God in her. She was also following Christ, and so she had the Holy Spirit within her. So that when falsehood was promoted, she didn't know why it might be wrong. She just knew it wasn't right. And it took me aback. She had a compass of truth that indicated the wrong trajectory. Now, it caused me to start looking and poking around and discover that, no, the Bible says they walked on dry ground. There you go, one verse, it's over, Mr. Piercy. Because your theory falls apart. If it's dry ground, I don't care if they walk through the, I don't care if you say they walked through the Sea of Reeds at low tide and it was only ankle deep. It wasn't dry ground. Let's go back to the miracle that God actually did. My mom had a compass of truth that indicated there was a wrong trajectory in that thinking. And that's what we need. So today we want to set our sights on doing, developing the same thing. Um, a, 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 we're going to begin today to um, go on this journey for 2024 of um, gaining understanding of, of the, of the, the uh, basic essential truths of the Bible. We're not um, trying to turn anybody into a college professor or a PhD. You don't have to do that. But you have to have enough truth of the truth in order to know when it's not right. Amen. And so that's where we're headed. So in your outline there, priorities to know and live for God in 2024. Number one, the importance of Bible truth. Does anybody need a Bible? We're going to be looking at several different scriptures. we got runners back there. All right. The importance of Bible truth. Romans chapter 12, beginning in, in verses 1 and 2. The Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, 
by the mercies of God. In the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, he's identified the mercies of God. He's identified the teaching of God. He says, therefore, I appeal to you, therefore, because of all that I've already taught you, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Bodies represent your whole self. So he's saying, give yourself completely to God as a living sacrifice given to him, holy and acceptable to him, set apart for him alone. That's holy. Set apart for him alone. Give yourself completely to him, which is your spiritual worship, a life of worship, giving God honor, giving God first place. And then in verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world. See, that's where, that's where we're getting into the importance of Bible truth, because the only, the, the anchor for truth is the word of God. My mom wasn't a scholar, but she knew enough of the truth to know when something was false. And so he said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So it takes effort. It's not something that automatically happens. It's an action that we have to take. Don't be conformed, don't give into the way of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It takes effort, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes habits in order to have our minds renewed that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. That's what mom was doing. She was sitting at the ironing board making handkerchiefs have no wrinkles. <laughs> because people brought handkerchiefs to be ironed because they put them in their, you know. And she was discerning what was true. As she said, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. Now, unless she had been reading the Bible and learning the truth of God and having the Holy Spirit within, she might have said, that sounds reasonable. That's what discerning is all about. Testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Several months ago, um, I've talked to you about the Colson Center, breakpoint.org, as a, a place where you can um, get a worldview perspective, a biblical worldview perspective on the news and what's happening in our world. And I was listening to a couple of PhDs back in October at a video presentation and they were talking about the false teachings in our culture, especially critical, uh, critical theory um, that they had said. And I was listening to this, and, and about halfway through, Pat Sawyer, one of the two, um, was talking about the ch how churches today, how Christians in America are getting fooled and deceived and by things that sound good but are not true. And that there are massive amounts of people um, not intentionally wanting, turning their back on God, but they are walking away from Him because their trajectory has gotten off. And he says, and there are churches that are buying falsehood, deceptive things that just aren't based in the Word of God. And so he said, in order for us as Christians in this culture to not be deceived, instead to live by truth and have that intimate relationship with God, to be aligned with Him, he made some the statements that I put next in your outline. He says, good theology in the pew, as well as the pulpit, um, will protect Christians against deception and false beliefs. 
He's saying we have to know the Word of God. Theology is knowing about God, knowing the, the study of who God is. Good theology. And, and then he, he said there has to be strong effort in three ways. Number one, biblical literacy. That is having God's truth deep within us. Biblical literacy, understanding what the Bible really says, sound doctrine, um, understanding theology, rob- and he said it's a robust instruction for people in the pew, not just in the not just pastors. He said, secondly, they need a biblical worldview. So you need to have a good understanding of what the Bible says, not all the deep intricacies, but a, a good understanding of the whole truth of God, the, the essentials of good theology. And then he says you need to have a biblical worldview. That the lens through which you see everything is the Bible. Applying it to the issues of the day that are plaguing our society. So that you're looking through the lens of the Bible when you hear things on the news, when you hear things in conversation, when you're sitting around Thanksgiving and, and somebody comes that you haven't seen for a while and they start talking about stuff, you, you know enough and you see through the Bible enough that like my mom, you say, I don't think that's right. Instead of, uh, it sounds good because I don't know. And then the third piece, he said, was biblical application to cultural issues. So as we live in this world and our culture is changing all around us and is going away from biblical truths, we have the ability to apply the Bible to those cultural issues and stand for Christ and not, be, and not get the trajectory off. Because the problem is... It only takes one degree of trajectory to lead astray. And that's what has happened with so many Christians, even with pastors as, as I observe them, is they didn't say, I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore. It wasn't a 180 degree turn. It was, oh, this philosophy sounds like love, so um, maybe I need to do it. Instead of having a, a biblical understanding, a biblical worldview, and being able to apply it so that you could say, I don't know exactly why that's not right, but I know it's not right. And I can find out why it's not right. So, the importance of the Word of God, of, the, of Bible truth. No, secondly, um, a second priority then is the importance of the whole Bible, the whole story. So that's what we're, we're starting on this journey today. And we're going to be, the year 2024 is, is going to help us understand the big story of God. Um, so let, let's talk about the importance of the whole story. Pat Sawyer um, also said, he says, to spot error and heresy simply requires knowing the truth deep within us, not being experts on the error or heresy. So you don't need to be an expert on that wrong teaching to know that it's wrong. He's saying you just need to know the truth. Getting the typical member in the pews to be a lay student of the Bible. So my mom was not a Bible scholar, but she knew that's not quite right. So I put a bullet point there for you. Um, Living with the end in mind. Living with the end of the story in mind. 
So um, I've asked for the year 24 for Randy and Terry, Victoria and Dave and Matthew to join me to be kind of a teaching team to guide us on, through Sunday mornings, through learning communities, through other activities to identify the essentials, uh, the essential truths of the Bible and then help us go on this journey to learning it. And so when I met with them, I said, I, I got this idea. And they all went, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> somebody, somebody, Gary Offerman once said, Herb, your inspiration is our perspiration. <laughs> I said, you know, I think you're right. Because I got more ideas than we can deal with. So I, I, I said to him, here's, here's, have you ever seen a TV show? And it's a TV show that you follow and, and you're watching it and you get about five minutes into this episode and you're thinking, something just doesn't seem right. So there's, there's something missing here. And then on the screen appears three days earlier or three weeks earlier and you realize, oh, they have fast forwarded to the, the end of the episode, the end of the, the story and they skipped all of this and now they're going to they gave you that, and now they're going to back up and start and show you how it all got there. I, I love those. I, 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 I don't know. Just, there's just something. So I said, here's what we want to do. We're going to start with the end on the first day, and then we're going to say 4,000 years later, uh, earlier, 4,000 years earlier. Yeah, or, thank you. Four, later would be, oh, we all be singing in heaven. 4,000 years earlier, and we're going to go back to the beginning of the story. So today is the first part of that episode. Turn in your Bible to Revelation, because that's the end of the story. Right? Revelation 21, beginning with verse 1. Because I've, over the last few months, become increasingly convinced that we have to live for the goal. God's ultimate goal, if we're going to live here and now in deep relationship with Him, deep alignment with Him, and with hope. We need to be anchored in this. Revelation chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The city, and who's the husband? Jesus, yeah. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. You see, God's, what, what's going to happen at the end is the fulfillment of what was established at the beginning. God has always been about having a human family. And we'll look at, at the beginning, but we're still, in the, you know, the 4,000 years later. 
Because he's establishing, he's reestablishing what he had originally started. He will dwell with them. Does that sound the Garden of Eden, like the Garden of Eden? And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. A perfect existence. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And so the scene, our scene opens for 2024 with the end. With the end. Everything has now been completed, and now Jesus returns, and he establishes a new heaven and a new earth that he has always longed for that he's always wanted, and it is our goal. So in, in the treasure principle, when Randy Alcorn talks about the dot and the line, we get so consumed if, we're, if we don't have a good picture of Revelation 21 as the goal, as the point, as what we're traveling to. We get caught up in this here and now, and we get frustrated and we get angry and we get hurt and we get off trajectory because we think we should have here and now what he promises in Revelation 21 with a new heaven and a new earth. And so we have to be convinced that's better. That's the goal. And it's worth any sacrifice. It's worth any, any level of work, any um, hurt, any difficulty, any hardship, because when we get there, he makes everything fair. In learning community, we talked about how one of the hardest things we have in this life is the unfairness, right? Even, even David in the Psalm says, how, how, did, well, how is it that the wicked prosper? How is it that the evil have all this good? Isn't that what we see today? How is it that these people who are living completely selfishly and, and they're getting all of these things, how is that fair? Because we're not home yet where fair will be given. And so he says, for those who are following him, he will wipe every tear from their eye, all mourning and sorrow and pain. And, and then in other places of Revelation, he, he talks about the, all the rewards that will be given to those who are faithful. But he says, but if you're on the other side of it, anybody's rebelling against God, anybody is not following him with faith and believing in loyalty, they will go to the lake of fire. That, on that day, fairness will finally rule. On that day, we will experience more than we could ever comprehend in what he wants to give to us. 
Because from the beginning, God has always been about having a human family that he just pours his love out on. He's like the, the, uh, the epitome and way beyond of a grandparent who just loves to give gifts and loves to spend time and loves to pour out every good thing he's got. God has always been about us and always inviting us to him. And we have got to be convinced. Otherwise, it gets too hard. It just, it is. It just is. There will be things that are just too hard. And it looks like God is not in the middle of it, that he's abandoned us, that he's forsaken us, because evil people win in this world. Right? And that's not fair. And we think it's not right. And God goes, it's not right. But this world's upside down. So we have to be convinced of the end so that we don't live for the dot. But we live for the end. Revelation, that description is the restoration of what was begun in the beginning. So that's the next bullet point. Um, a number of years ago, I did a, a message, and I, and I talked about um, Revelation is the end of the beginning. Genesis is the beginning of the beginning. Because everything leading up to Jesus coming back is the beginning. And after that is the real story. So we're living in between the beginning of the beginning and the end of the beginning. Because this is not the end. Genesis chapter 1. Begin with verse 26. Living with the purpose of the story in mind. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air. And over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created him. And God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens. And that word dominion is really about stewardship. It's about taking care of God's creation as as a representative of God. It, he's, he's inviting, he invited them to be a part of his work, a partner with him. And over, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here was God's original design. He wants a human family. And, and so he creates the male and female, and he creates everything, and he says, okay, you are in charge. Now, no, and this is something that a lot of people don't notice. His... Um, Instruction was to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. His original design was to make Eden fill the whole earth. A perfect creation through the whole earth. That was his original design. Does that kind of sound like Revelation 21? You see, it's always been that design. His design was, I want a human family that I can partner with, that I can pour out my love, that they can enjoy all that I want to give to them, and we can be in the relationship. 
But then sin messed it all up. Sin messed it up. They chose to do exactly the opposite of what God had told them to do. And it turned all of creation, not just mankind, all of creation, upside down. And God stood back and went, well, I didn't expect that. No, he didn't. He knew, he knew that they would do this, but his purpose has always been to have a human family. And he was willing for mankind to turn aside because a portion of them would turn to him and he would have that family. And so he, after everything turned upside down, uh, flip over to Genesis 3. So the end of the beginning in Revelation is a picture of God's original design in the beginning. And it's never left his control. Genesis chapter 3, 14, after they sinned, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And if you're reading along with the devotional, you're getting some really good insight. Last week I said, you know, it kind of began slow. And then Monday, it hit the gas. And it is giving some incredible insight. So if you're not reading it, you're missing a lot. And I encourage you to go back and make it up. Um, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. From Genesis chapter 3, he predicts Jesus. He, he's, he's telling all of creation, you didn't win. Satan didn't win. It's going to take a long time until the uh, Messiah comes, but he will bruise you. In other words, he will crush your head. And it was the crucifixion that destroyed Satan's power and the resurrection. And so from the beginning, God has always wanted to have a, a human family. He created it when Adam and Eve sinned and turned everything upside down. He already had in place this plan by which Jesus would come and destroy the power of the enemy. And now since Jesus, we've been living in the middle of the beginning waiting on the time when Jesus will return and restore things back to the original design. But we can only deliberately live for that when we intentionally know God's truth and walk in step with the Spirit, as my mom did. Again, we're not, not going to ask you to be Bible scholars or take seminary courses, we're going to offer you this pathway by which you can understand the core essentials of the Bible and know how to live those out so that you won't be deceived, you won't be fooled by all of the stuff in the world that sounds good but isn't and will help you to, and, and as a result, you will experience a deeper intimacy, a deeper joy in walking with God. But it requires 
effort. I go back to Romans chapter 12 in the uh, first part of the outline. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Give yourself completely to God. So that's what I'm going to challenge you to do today. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's what I'm going to ask you to do, is to participate on this journey this year in the, th- in the things that we're going to do. And that by testing, you may discern what is God's will, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The difficulty is we will never stop in the transformation of our minds. It's this ongoing, I can't believe after all of these years of being a Christian, all these years of being a pastor, I, God is still going, you got that wrong. I didn't even know I had it wrong. Okay. Let's make it right. That's the, that's the process. That's the ongoing journey. Yeah. Because we are born upside down and we are more blind than we realize. We've got blind spots that we don't even recognize. And especially because we're involved in the culture, the culture has, has trained us in ways and convinced us in ways that we don't even realize. Comedian Carl Hurley tells a story about trying to throw a trash can away. He said, it's the one thing you can't get the garbage man to pick up. I set an old rusty garbage can out at the street one morning, thinking the garbage man would understand that it was old and needed to be thrown away. When I came back that afternoon, the can was stacked up with the rest of the empty trash cans. The next week I put it out, and this time I turned it upside down so they could see that the bottom had several holes in it and needed to be thrown away. When I came home... It was stacked up next to the empty trash cans again. The next week, I took a sledgehammer and beat the can to a pulp, and I left it out front, and when I came back, not only was it stacked next to the other empty trash cans, but the garbage man had actually tried to beat it back into shape. (laughs) And so, I finally did the only thing I could do. I went to the hardware store, Bought a heavy-duty chain and a padlock, I chained the old can to a large tree in my front yard. And sure enough, that night, somebody stole it. (laughs) The problem was, the garbage man could only see a garbage can as something to empty and take care of, not as trash. Now, we're not like that, are we? So oftentimes, we see things, but we don't see them through God's eyes. And so it's this transformation, this Romans 12, 1 and 2 transformation is the process of God getting our attention and showing us where we're blind so that we can get it right. So what do we do with all this? Here's, I put at the bottom of your outline, a working document. Because... um, I get teased a lot about trying to get um, things to all start with the same letter or sound the same. And, I, and so I wasn't able to really massage this. So I'm just telling you, here's the general direction that we're headed. And I'm sure the teaching team that I put together is going to hammer me. So for 2024, here, here's what we're, the context has changed lives. Our lives being changed 
given more fully to God, becoming more like Christ and living like Christ, and being available for other people's lives to be changed. So John 17, 3, that I read earlier this morning, this is eternal life, that they know you. That's what the eternal life is, knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ. It's that relationship with Him, following in step with Him. So here are the priorities. Number one, know and live God's essential truth. That's why we had, have chosen the daily devotional that we have. It starts at Genesis, but the, the daily readings at the bottom are um, integrating it with other parts of the Bible. But it's on this very specific journey on understanding the big story of God. So if you haven't yet started using it, please, please do so. And read the scriptures that are at the bottom. Sunday messages will be about this, understanding these essential truths. Learning communities are going to tie into this in some way. We don't have it all figured out. We're working on that. And then other things throughout the year as, um, as God leads us. James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's not enough to know it, it but we have to do it. That's what, we're, well, that's what we're shooting for. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. That is telling us what the truth is. Reproof, that is showing us where we're wrong. Correction, showing us how to get right. And then training in righteousness, ongoing, becoming like Jesus. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Because the word of God is powerful, not just to... In religion, what, they get, what you get are um, instructions telling you how bad a person you are. In this relationship with God, he tells you, he's telling us, here's what I want you to be. Here's where you're going wrong. Here's how I'm going to help you get it right. And here's how you can continue on. Number two, radical stewards, managers of God's stuff. So insight this week. When God nudged me to give you copies of that treasure principle book, it wasn't about the treasure principle book. When God nudged me to, to talk, you know, to, to discuss it in learning community, it wasn't about the treasure principle book. It was a springboard to a year of listening to God how we can become better managers Amen. of our time, our talents, our treasures, and being obedient to God. Amen. That's what it was. And so the first three weeks is just springboard into, as we go through the year, how can we be better stewards of God? Because if we go back to the beginning of the beginning in Genesis, Adam and Eve, take care of all the stuff that I created. But I'll check in with you every night. And we'll have some fellowship and enjoy it. And they had meaningful work to do. So, second, 1 Timothy chapter 6, turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. So the Treasure Principle book and study is the launching pad into a year of becoming better and better stewards, managers in a hyper-materialistic world. Because we got blind spots with the materialism of our world that we don't even realize. Because the affluence of our culture is not a blessing, it's a curse that has caused us to not think the way that we need to think and um, be responsible to God. 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19 says, As for the rich in this present age, which is all of us, by the way, 
because no matter how poor we are, we are still in the top 3% of the world's population. Charge them not to be haughty, arrogant, proud, thinking they know what they're doing, Mr. Piercy. <laughs> Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Set their hopes, set your sights, set your vision, be thou my vision, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He is our loving Father. He wants to provide us with what we need. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Time, talent, treasure. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Treasures in heaven. Revelation, the end of the beginning. So that we will, we will have the resources we need to continue to serve God and others in the new heaven and the new earth, in the, in the new kingdom. That they may take hold of that which is truly life. So you see, by being good stewards, by letting go of the stuff and, and giving it to God and just being a manager, we experience that eternal life. Now, freedom. You know, I, I told the story learning community this week when I loaned my car, my second favorite car of all time, and and the young lady that I loaned it to called me about ten days later and said I was in an accident. The response is, uh, God, she just wrecked your car. What are you going to do about it? And he did. He took care of it because it's not ours, is it? Number three, bright lights of Christ to others. This, I wanted to go in depth to this last week when we had that young lady here. And um, she's as verbose as me. So we didn't get to it. But, and we'll follow up with it later. But a third priority is being bright lights of Christ to others. We're here because we're supposed to be stewards. We're here because we're supposed to be lights to the people around us. Um, so are you glad that Christ has saved you? Yes. Do you experience a life and a joy that you never had before you came to Christ? If that's true, and if it's that valuable to us, we need to share it. But one of the things that Satan slyly does is to get us to kind of hold it personal and not let our light shine. As the children have been singing. Um, there are times when, I, and I count myself in this, where I hide my light under a bushel when I shouldn't. One of the priorities is getting to live a lifestyle of being bright lights. Matthew 5. You are the light of the world in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds, your works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Living our lives as the light of Christ. And so my challenge to you, um, I don't want to do it. I don't care what time it is. <laughs> close your eyes for just a minute. Just close your eyes. Um, think of a person that you care about. Now, here, here is, that person might be your one. I, and I'm saying one as someone to zero in on 
with uh, um, direct effort. Because that person came to mind. That person came to mind quickly. So that might be, so open your eyes. So when I say, who is the one that, who is the one, and it might be more than one, but who is the one that God puts on your heart? Not who you think that person really needs to get saved because they're a nasty person. That's not, that's not the point. The point is, who is it that God wants you to be a light to? And it could be the nasty person, but God might know that that person's not ready yet. Who is the one that God wants you, and I put it in the bullet points there, to pray daily for them to come to Christ, to reach out weekly to contact them, to once a month somehow get together with them, just to befriend them and care about them and let your light shine. Who is that one that needs Christ, who, who you want to ha- them to have the joy that Christ has given you in the future in eternity? That See, it's not about these people need to come to Christ. It's we have got something that is incredible that we need to uncover our bushel, bushel basket and let it shine. And this is a, just a practical way. So this week I want you to, to pray and say, God, who is the one or two or three people that you want to have on that list so that you're praying for them every day? Every, at least once a week you're texting them or sending them a card, calling them, somehow having contact. And once a month getting together with them just to let your light shine because God wants to use us to let other people know that they can come to Christ. So those are the three priorities that we've identified so far. That's where we're headed. Come along. Because this is God's journey. It's not ours. Amen. And, and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to what God's going to do. So would you bow your heads? And would you be willing to say, Lord, I want, I want to be transformed I want my mind to be transformed. Lord, I want my heart to be transformed. Lord, I want to think with your mind. I want to see through your eyes. I'm willing to do whatever I need to this year, Lord. Guide me. Direct me. Step by step. Now, Lord, I pray that you would hold us to those prayers. I also pray that you would give us eyes to see the enemy's schemes as he tries to do undo and do the opposite of what you want to do. God, I pray for your protection and you would help us to lock arms together to be your family, your church, your army as we go forward this year. I pray that you would drill deeply into our souls the picture of the new heaven and the new earth, that day when you return and you correct all things. Help us to live for that. Whatever it takes, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.